He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. Sapphires, rubies, emeralds, and diamonds. You might think I'm describing the contents of a royal crown, but these precious gems are seen and handled every day by today's guest. Today on the show, I'm speaking of Ankar Daga of Angara.com. Now, Angara is best known for their magnificent gemstones and customizable jewelry. Anchor has sold his jewelry all over the world and prides himself on choosing only the best for his customers. Now, he joins us today to discuss the trends in the jewelry industry, how millennials are changing the way we shop and buy jewelry, and so much more. Welcome. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. All right, the first question that just popped into my head was looking at your background, you went to... Harvard Business School, and you were at McKinsey. So what made you decide to jump in this business? Yeah, so I um, actually grew up in the business where, where my parents' families have been in the business for generations. Mm. Uh, and since the age of 14, I've kind of been dabbling in the business. So at the age of 14, I was looking at polished uh, and rough emeralds in Jaipur. Uh, and I always kind of had a fascination for it. But before college, I pretty much vowed that I'd never get into the industry because it, it to a large extent, was very backwards. Uh, and then I took a slightly different path. I went to Wharton, then I went to McKinsey. Uh, and in McKinsey, um, I, my last study was turning around a jewelry retailer in India. Oh. Uh, and now it's, it's the largest retailer in India for jewelry. But that experience, just I loved the experience and I loved jewelry and I, I knew I wanted to get back into it. So before going to HBS, I was very sure that that's what I, ended, I wanted to do uh, after graduation. So what were the, so, lesson, what uh, were the lessons the, that you learned in turning around the retailer? Because, I mean, that's I assume the retailer means a real retailer, not an online retailer. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I think um, the brand matters tremendously and what the brand stands for is matters tremendously. So mm-hmm. the retailer happened to be Tanishq, uh, which is owned by the Tatas, which is a large conglomerate in India. So the, mm-hmm. what they had going for them was brand. I think the, the problem was the negative perception around price. They were perceived to be expensive. And so they uh, had a very interesting strategy where, where in India back then, and, and this is around the 2000s, where uh, a lot of their competition was rampantly undercarrying. So they would sell 22 karat gold, for example, but in reality it would be 14 or 15 carats. And, you know, that 30% margin is how they competed on price, but it clearly was unfair and illegal competition. So Tanish actually ended up calling them out. And in each city they published um, what carriage gold uh, retailers were providing in that city. So that's when the brand really took off. 
Yeah. And uh, so well, perception is such a big part of it, and just getting the story out there is, I think, is so key, especially for something like jewelry. You know, but I also think you're 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 seeing a big shift. I mean, obviously, the online market. You, we're seeing a lot more millennials buy online, willing to buy online. I, I remember years ago, I was approached to be come the president of a, of a jewelry business, and it was a, a diamond business, which was um, oh, un, uncut diamonds, which I still think is a mm-hmm. huge, huge potential market. Um, one, because there's great margins in them, and two, uh, they're just so unique. It's one, they're one of a kind. But I just, unfortunately, wasn't able to do the timing to do it. But with millennials, I, I was convinced then, as I am now, that they'll buy online, and you're seeing that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So millennials in general are 30% more likely to buy online for jewelry uh, than the rest of the population. So clearly it's a big uh, consumption area. But, you know, interestingly, there's been a lot of press over the last, let's say, decade around millennials not being interested in jewelry. But statistically, that's just not true. So it's one of those things where as long as there's love, there will be a demand for jewelry. And there tends to be a tremendous demand. Yeah, uh, in millennials. Yeah, you you, 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 you you try to get some millennials about to get married, saying he's not going to buy his uh, potential wife a diamond ring. You're up, you're up the creek right there, dude. <laughs> well. Yeah, no, that yeah, it's a, that's a dead end. It will probably stop the marriage before yeah, <laughs> it, it, it gets anywhere. But it, it's interesting because millennials are different in that they uh, will spend a lot more uh, than the rest of the audience, and they'll also go for much higher quality, even if they're sacrificing size. Well, that's why, but by the way, that's why that 14 versus, you know, 22%, you know, 22 uh, carat gold or 24 carat gold, excuse me. That that, That's why you can't lie about that stuff, especially with millennials. Now, you might be able to shade over older folks about that. They don't know the difference, but millennials will spend the time to really get into it. Yeah, and and they'll go online and they'll see the reviews. And as soon as one public, you know, one person publishes that, hey, these guys are under carroting, your business is done. Yeah. Um, And... You know, it, when you walk into a retail store, that may not be the case because, you know, not a lot of people will post reviews for physical retail locations. But when you're online, your reputation is all you have, and that's kind of the proxy for for the brand. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing that you're seeing, I thought was interesting in millennial. I was looking through the briefing stuff. Is com- compared to the general population, millennials buy more gifts than purchasing for themselves. I thought that was kind of an yeah. interesting thing. What, what's the percentages there? Do you remember that? Yes, yeah, so I think part of the reason is that they're in the age group that is buying engagement rings and promise rings and you know a lot of Valentine's Day gifts and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that does skew the numbers a little bit, but it's something like eighty twenty or it might be seventy. No, it's, yeah, it's at seventy eight percent of the purchase are gifts, twenty two percent self purchase, versus the non millennial yeah. segment, which is a fifty fifty split between self purchase and gift giving. A lot more selfish, I yep. guess. <laughs> <You know. laughs> well, I think females generally that are older have more money to spend. Yeah. yeah I think that's uh, and that plays into it, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and the millennial audience is much more engagement ring heavy. And so that also factors. Do you see the buying habits that. being very similar in terms of um, the types of, let's just say, let's take an engagement ring, for instance. You know, when yeah. I first got engaged to my wife 36 years ago, I, I could barely afford a chip of a, of a diamond. You know, I just really didn't have mm. the money. And I, I remember I went to, I'll, I'll tell you, I went to Zales. I financed it. It was like 500 bucks. That was, that was a lot of money back then. That's all I could afford. And literally, mm. the, I have a ring now that I wear 
that I got from my 25th wedding anniversary. And one of the chips or one of the diamonds in there was about the same sizes. And I've got like seven diamonds in that ring. And that was like the size of her engagement ring. And then years later, mm. fast forward, you know, I went out and got her one of those big, you know, three, four carat diamond rings, you know, so when I could finally mm. afford something. Do you do you see the trends? What are, what are the trends? Are they buying buying big diamonds uh, for that engagement ring like you like you would expect? Yeah. So the average engagement ring now is, I think, around $6,000. And about a decade ago, it was in the, in the 4500 range. So, mm-hmm. so the price has gone up. And accordingly, the size also has gone up. So yeah. people are, are definitely trading up. What I, I think uh, the broad trend that I'm seeing, at least, is that people will spend more but buy less pieces. So their average consumption has gone up slightly, but their average ticket has gone up a lot. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Well, let me take a quick break because I, speaking of spend, could I need to afford? My wife actually said the new diamond she has is going to make a nice earring, so I got to get another one. So I got to, got to make some money here. So speaking of fire within, do you know that roasting coffee beans at 400 degrees Fahrenheit unleashes their delicious powers? Ooh, kind of like diamonds being carbonized and, and you know. And, pressurized that, that delicious taste gets transferred uh, transferred to you through duncan coffee and i picked up a cup of duncan this morning i do every day i love duncan and i love the fact that they're on all business with jeffrey hazlett and all business runs on duncan and so does america so which is really cool you do you drink coffee at all i do and i do drink duncan so do you really well you're it, you're, it, you're in new jersey so you've got to drink duncan it's it's like every corner right hmm Absolutely. Yeah, very much so. So talk to me about, um, let's talk a little bit more about your business and how do you decide what shapes, cuts, types of gems and metals that you use in your inventory, for instance? Sure. So our our business is pretty unique uh, versus most of our competition in three fundamental ways. And since you mentioned sizes and shapes and so forth, the, the first difference is every piece that we sell is made to order. So once we get an order, that piece will be cast overnight. We will set it, package it, ship it, uh, quality control it in the next day. So you'll get a completely fresh piece in as little as 24 hours. So in terms of the size, shape, and stone, for any design that we sell, you could have it in four different gemstone sizes. So you can go half a carat, one carat, one half carat, two carats, for example. Uh, And you could have it in four different qualities. So like... Commercial sapphire all the way up to like something you would get on a Fifth Avenue uh, store. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you could choose whether you want it in silver, yellow gold, white gold, rose gold, platinum. Um, so the degree of customizability is huge, but we're able to ship it in as little as 24 hours. So that allows us to really ramp up our assortment. So we have thousands of SKUs because everything is being made just in time. We don't need to stock it. And depending on whatever you want, we'll make it after you, you place the order. But it's it's ultra fast. Do you, there's not many jewelry companies that offer this type of customization. I mean, it's it's kind of unheard of. I know there's lots of different on time, online, you know, I would call jewelry retailers. But have you found this to be more effective or do people generally already know what they want to get before they start shopping? Uh, so... I think for us, it has been quite effective. So when we switched from selling jewelry the traditional way to selling jewelry the customized way, our revenue per visitor shot up by 80%. Wow. And that's kind of held <laughs> over time, which is obviously it's transformational for, for right. the business. Right. But I think the reason most of our competition cannot do it is to do this 
properly, you have to be vertically integrated. Um, so we go very far back in the process. We start just after mining. So a lot of our gemstones will cut and polish. Uh, for example, all of our gemstones will source in either Jepur or Bangkok or other places in Thailand. So it's kind of straight from the source. Uh, then we'll set it into the jewelry ourselves. Uh, and because we control the entire process, we're able to be ultra quick. So it's almost like Zara applied to jewelry. So when you t when, so and, to explain this uh, vertically integrated model, what, what do you mean by that exactly? So the supply chain is relatively fragmented. So the traditional supply chain that existed, let's say, 10 years ago, was you have mining companies like a De Beers, for example. They will sell to uh, companies called site holders that are exclusive buyers from De Beers. The site holder will take the rough stone, right. will polish it into a diamond or, or a gemstone, uh, and then sell it on to a jewelry manufacturer, will, which will then cast the gold um, use the diamonds and gemstones to create a design and make jewelry. Now, that jewelry manufacturer will then sell it to a jewelry wholesaler, right. which will ultimately sell it to a retailer, such as you know the 30,000 retailers that sell jewelry in the U.S., uh, for example. So because there's eight steps in the process, there's a certain amount of inefficiency and slowness that results. So when you're thinking about launching a line let's say, in September for the holiday season, you need to start planning in January. So what we've done, and I think part of the inefficiency we noticed early on, is rather than doing it that way, with our vertically integrated process, so if the Oscars air, let's say, on Sunday night, Monday morning, we'll have pieces similar to the ones that are shown stylistically on the next day on Monday. Uh, and it's because everything is in-house. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's a huge uh, advantage. And then, of course, you're capturing a lot of the margin along the way, so you can pass that along to customers in kind of like in a Bezos way. If you can compete on price and you can out-compete on price, then it's hard for others to catch yeah, up. But, or put the margin in your pocket, which adds to the value of your stockholders, which is important. Yeah, so, 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 but, so both, but not, absolutely. But not everybody can do that. I mean, that's got to take some capital and some cash, right? Yeah, so capital... Capital is certainly one, but I think expertise is the bigger piece of the puzzle here because you have to know how to buy, let's say, gemstones in Thailand. So if you go to Thailand, for example, and you go to Kanchanapuri, um, you'll sit down at, at the office of someone that manufactures a ton of rubies. Mm -hmm. Now, you'll sit down and they'll have a price, a starting price of $1,000 a carat, let's say for commercial quality. And you know it's worth, let's say, $25 a carat. So if you offer, let's say, $10 a carat, they'll ask you to get up and leave. So you have to be very close to that 25 in your offer. Otherwise, there's no deal or you've massively overpaid. So that's a very specific skill set that you have to be very good at. Then you have to be good at jewelry manufacturing, which is a completely different skill set. Then you have to be good at merchandising. And then ultimately, you have to be good at online retail. So the combination of those four skills... It, is it's very diverse in its skill set, therefore it's very rare. Yeah. So today, Tiffany, to a large extent, is vertically integrated. Signet, which owns K's and Sales, is vertically integrated, but, but no one else in the jewelry industry, at least in the U.S., is vertically integrated. And that's pretty amazing. Out of so many companies, uh, it's really hard to do. We're the third one, I believe, that, that is vertically integrated. Is that the, how many, and how many 
companies would you say offer this type of customization? Where you're able to customize uh, quality of gemstone, size of gemstone, and so yeah, forth. I think we're the only one. Yeah, because, I mean, when you look at that, I mean, you know, you go on, here's our selection, here's what we've got. You might have a choice in the size, you know, and certainly the clarity of the stone, depending on if you're buying a diamond or just another another gemstone. But I got to imagine that's that, that there's not a lot that are do, that's doing that at all. So I, I think I think on the diamond side, for example, like Blue Nile is a very good mm-hmm. example of someone yep. that does it very well they on the diamond job. engagement ring side. Where I think it becomes harder is to do it on the color side, which is where where we do this mostly in. Um, because color is not as standardized as diamond. Are you, are you already? <laughs> so are you already? Yeah, and which that makes sense. Which you got to have more inventory. You got to have more sizes. You got to have more material. Are you are you cutting these as you go, or you already have these pre-cut, and you have different types? So most of what see. we buy is as as pre-cut. Yeah. In the standard sizes, but then we'll do a lot of modification. And for example, if it's a custom piece or if somebody wants something that's particular then we'll cut it from scratch. Yeah. But most of what we do is calibrated sizes. So, you know, six millimeter rounds, for example, those are kind of day in, day out. So that, those we have ready in stock and ready to go. Well, which is cool. All right, well, I'm, I'm still fascinated. This is really cool. I love the the way you're thinking through this business and changing it, but it, always about just the simple stuff of giving the customer what they want, the way they want it. It's amazing. And we, I think when you open up the possibilities of this, it's just, it just it's mind-boggling, boggling, but also very good for the pocket and very good for me because I'm going to make my wife a very happy person. So, all right, let me take another break here because it's important. And I'm talking money. Let's talk money. If you're looking for a great read, check out my friend John Hewitt's new book, uh, I Compete. How My Extraordinary Strategy for Winning Can Be Yours. John's the founder and CEO of Liberty Tax Service. So there's the money. He's one of the top tax preparation franchises, or he started one of the top tax preparation franchises with over 4,000 stores nationwide. I mean, this guy has done it over and over. I think his last business he shut it, he sold for about $460 bucks, I think. And uh, if he ever sells this one, which can be a lot more than that because it's a lot bigger. He's huge. And so I Compete, you want to read how he did it? I Compete's a must-read. And if you're a regular listener of the show, it's relatable to any business industry. I've read it. I like it. And I think you should, too. So... Um, let me, let me, what's the, the other thing I want to talk about just about the, the nature of the jewelry business a little bit, because jewelry purchases are typically the first ones to go into recession and the last one to come back. Given the elections been going on, um, do you think we're, do you, how are sales? That's what I want to know. How are sales? <laughs> so up until the last two weeks, they've been pretty solid. I think there is some amount of turbulence just until November 8th, but mm-hmm. kind of stepping a, uh, a little bit further back to, let's say, a quarterly sales number, it's actually quite healthy. So, you know, regardless of what the popular press would say, the economy is kind of buzzing. We're at, you know, 2.9% GDP growth last quarter. Retail sales are expected to be up 3.4% next year, which is quite healthy and, you know, greater than GDP growth. So we're in a very good part of the economic cycle. And, you know, jewelry takes the first hit, but when it comes back and when we're in a good cycle, it comes back very strong. So yeah. we expect a great 2017. Yeah, I, think I don't think, I think they're still strong. So we're not on the brink of recession right now. Some people yeah, would say so, that. So, so if we go back to, I, I think because jewelry is a leading indicator, it's the first yep. to take a dip, as you said. Now let's look back at 2008. So August to October of 08 is when Tiffany registered its first quarterly sales decline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
the recession hit December of 08. And then Walmart actually had its first down quarter, two quarters after Tiffany did. So because Tiffany's and, you know, and Signet and so forth are expected, uh, expecting sales increases of anywhere from two to three and a half percent, I think we're very far away from a recession. I, yeah. I don't, unless something very unpredictable happens, I think we'll be just fine for a while. Now, you typically see most jewelry sales happening during this quarter, October through December. Uh, like as mm-hmm. much as 45% of all sales is done then. Is that, do you see the same thing or are you spread out a little bit more? So I think 45% is is roughly right. 40 to 45% will be between October and December end. Um, and the holiday season for us is huge. Does that scare you or excite you? Uh, well, it's a great time. I, I wish <laughs> we had that volume year-round. Yeah. You know, but but it, it is a great feeling. It's um it's a very special time of the year, and you know that time of the year, seven days a week. I think we're working like eighteen to twenty hours a day, and yeah. I would love to do that year round. Yeah, I bet you that's the time period where you're just going, okay, no vacations, no one leaves, stay at your desk, bring pizza in to everybody that's answering the phones and and watching the screens yeah. and doing. I bet you're doing a lot of that, right? Yeah, everybody's chained to their desk, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. you, you have to, right? Do you treat it like a war room or anything like that, where every day it's up on the wall and and you're you're rallying the troops? And do you do, um, you know, like pep talks in the morning or the afternoon? How do you do that? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a very buzzy atmosphere, and yeah, a lot of what you said is exactly right. I, I think we try to generate as much excitement, and you know, the customers are very excited uh, for the holiday season, and we just kind of feed off each other and. Uh, there it goes. Yeah. So you, when I look at the the jewelry market and as a as a marketer, I see that branded jewelry like you know Tiffany and uh, David Yerman, who's seem, is doing really well, and many others. They they account for about twenty percent of the overall jewelry market. Do you do you foresee it claiming a higher share in the future? And if so, why? Yeah. So um, what's interesting is I think jewelry is following the path of apparel, let's say twenty to thirty years ago where a lot of the apparel market was extremely fragmented. You didn't have a lot of global brands back then, but now if you look at Zara, you look at Inditex, uh, you look at H&M uh, and Uniqlo and so forth, there's a lot of very strong global vertically integrated players. And that, that I think, is what's happening in the jewelry industry. So back in the early 2000s, McKinsey estimated that roughly 10% of jewelry was branded, and we're going up all the way to 30% in 2020. Mm. Uh, so that's a pretty seismic transfer. That's a pretty and big. That's a pretty. For you know, for those listening in, that that's just freaking huge. I mean, that's to to massively take over the marketplace. When you look at the billions of dollars that that's out there, that's a good chunk to be able to go and grab. Yeah, and a lot of that is being driven by millennials. They yeah. know what they want. They buy into the ethos behind the brand, and even the concept of brands themselves are changing very rapidly. Where where it used to be a proxy for value, if it's Cartier, it's going to be very high quality. And that shifted to what does a brand stand for? Where does it source? Where does it manufacture? Um, you know, what are the ethical considerations behind the brand? And, and that's become so much more important than it ever was. And that's, it's great for the industry. It's good for the industry. I, I would also think, though, that it's also going to cause some competition that comes in that you don't expect. Because if you've got, you know, I would think non non-jewelry players are going to come into this market as well, more and more so, because brand is so important. 
You're exactly right. So LV has come in, um, Chanel has come in, Gucci will, or has to a large extent. Louis Vuitton, you'll see a lot I would of the think. Luxury some, goods yeah, Dior, yeah. some of those I would think would really step in here. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, it raises the game for everyone else because luxury goods manufacturers and retailers have been so good at branding, whereas, you know, most of the jewelers have not been. So now for us to compete, we have to step up our game, and that's great. Yeah, which is always a, a – but stepping up is a hard thing to do. So what, so to step up, what do you have to do? What do you have to do better? What do you have to do better in your business? So I, I think a part of what what's there specifically in, in our business is the, the vertically integrated part of the business and the fact that we've been jewelers for generations. We have to bring out a lot more because they're very key advantages that have clear advantages for the consumer. So, for example, since we've grown up in the industry, we know that if you mount an emerald vertically in an earring, it turns one to two shades darker or deeper than on a ring. Now, most of our competition wouldn't know that, but when you're custom making a piece, you take that into consideration and thus the jewelry turns out differently. Uh, and that's a major source of advantage for the consumer mm-hmm. because they know they're getting it from somewhere that knows exactly how jewelry looks and works and so forth. And that we need to, I think, bring out a lot more clearly in the way we represent the company. So And, and educate them because you're showing them yeah. that you're the con- this concierge this, this, with attention to detail. Hey, just let you know. You might not like it this way when you get it because it's going to be darker than what you think. So, um, what's the what's the rate of returns that you get on this customized stuff? We're roughly ten percent, mm-hmm. um, which I think is lower than most online jewelers. Uh, and, and so, do they, do they, because they, they ret- invest so much. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to ask you. So, when they return it, do they just say, "Hey, I bet I want this fixed," or do they just say, "No," I'm, and they walk away from it? A lot of it is exchanges where they say, you know what, I want a different size. I want a slightly larger size or I want a slightly deeper color or I actually want it in rose gold and not yellow. And we'll make a lot of those fixes. Yeah. Um, and if it's gift giving, a lot of it is, is, okay, my wife loves the quality, but she doesn't like the style. So can we change it from something contemporary to something much more classic? Right, right. Yeah, because um, I, I, th- I saw this, I thought it was interesting. Uh, rose gold is more popular amongst millennials than the overall population, and that they and millennials are also skewing towards white gold versus yellow gold of older generations. I thought that was kind of cool. Yep. Yeah, it's. Um, it, I think it goes with a lot more clothes, white gold specifically. Yeah. And rose gold is new, so it, it's become very new and trendy. And so the 2016 Pantone color of the year was rose quartz. Mm-hmm. So since then, stones that are and that pink, peachy pink color, like Morganite, have just shot through the roof in terms of sales. And you'll see a lot more rose gold coming into fashion as a result of that. Yeah, I know, and the rose gold is something new for me. I know out in South Dakota, we have Black Hills gold, which is totally different. We use mm-hmm. a little bit of rose in that. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me take a quick, another quick break, and then I want to come back to you and ask you about some trends. By the way, I like white gold best as of all. I've always liked it better. I like platinum, though, too, because that's very expensive. I like that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, look, folks, I've always told you about Sane Box. Those are listening. If you haven't done this, I, you know, I can't stand 
tons of email every morning, but this has been the, my biggest secret weapon. I found SaneBox, and it intelligently sorts through your emails so you can deal with the most important ones right away. You can tag people in the emails, tag time, so it shows back in your email box so it reminds you that they haven't gotten back to you. But you, after a couple of days of dragging and dropping a couple of these emails, um, they never show back up and they, it keeps them away. So it gives me hours a day to spend growing my business the way I want to. And if you want it for free, uh, give it a try. It's on me. You go to www.sanebox.com forward slash Hazlet, H-A-Y-Z-L-E-T-T. You put that in there and you get to save uh, a lot of money, which is cool. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. If you are loving this podcast, if you're loving this podcast, you, you should, should tell, tell a friend, friend about, about it. it. Spread the word about podcasts you think they would enjoy. There's something for everyone from entertainment and lifestyle to, to news and politics to sports and more. Share it on social media. Tripod. Believe it or not, some people don't know how great podcasts are or even how to find and listen to them. You can help change that with a click. Tell your friends about your favorite podcast. And don't forget to tell us what you shared with the hashtag Tripod. T-R-Y-P-O-D. Tripod. Thanks for spreading the word. I want to um, I want to get back to how how do the big buys impact you? So when I'm talking about big buys, meaning um, let's say that you know, Princess Kate were to buy something, or or you know Lady Gaga buys something, how does that impact uh, the business? You, I, you said something about the, you know the Oscars, which of course I've attended when I was chief marketing officer at Kodak, and I know we used to wear a lot of jewelry going into that baby because everybody got to do that. So how much does that impact what you do? It's huge for setting trends. So when um, William gave the ring, uh, it, Sapphires took off again. Uh, and, and he gave he, engagement rings. Yeah, he, and didn't he give Princess Diana's ring, didn't he? He gave his mother's ring. It, yeah. Exactly. And people yeah. had kind of forgotten about that until yeah. it was reintroduced. And then all of a sudden, Sapphire engagement rings take off. And, and they've still held very strongly. So it completely influences trends, and, and, and it's not temporal. It sustains over, let's say, 5, 10, 15 years. And so the last big one was Mark Zuckerberg gave a ruby engagement ring. Yeah, because he um, can. Because he can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can basically do whatever he wants. Yeah. So that, but that set off another trend, especially in like the tech Silicon Valley crowd, where color became much more popular, not just ruby, but kind of all color as a different way to express yourself. Is it is the diamond market off? So the color market is growing at roughly 20% per year for the last three years. The diamond market, diamond jewelry market, is somewhere between 2 and 5%, uh, let's call it. So, yeah, color is definitely growing a lot faster um, overall. Well, you get chocolate diamonds. You can get all color, different color diamonds. I mean, and they're beautiful. Amongst the gemstones, I, this is a fact I saw that the team dug up. Um, gemstones, sapphire is the most preferred, followed by ruby, emerald, and tanzanite. Now, and you made mention to another one, which was morganite. And what the hell is morganite? I never heard of morganite in my – and it's up 300% after being named the 2016 Pantone Color of the Year. For those of you who don't know, Pantone's the, 
is originally started in the printing industry is the set for colors so you can measure all colors against it so it's a standard that's what pantone is but but morganite is up 300 percent. what the hell is morganite so it's a very nice peachy pink stone that was very rare and it was kind of under appreciated until rose quartz became color of the year and yeah. it's amazing how much trends change so 300 percent growth is clearly massive and it's due to something that, that you could have considered a pretty small thing and not necessarily relevant to the jewelry industry, but but there's a direct correlation. So pink dresses match very well sure. uh, with Morganite, for example. And, you know, you mentioned Tanzanite is another very popular stone. So if you remember the Titanic movie, there was like a blue diamond yep. that Kate Winslet got. So Tanzanite looks very similar to that. So that market just exploded after the movie. Yeah, which is awesome. Which is a, what's the biggest, um, most expensive, elaborate piece of jewelry you've ever sold? Um, we sold a few in the hundred thousand dollar range yeah. uh, that are very, very high quality stones. Yeah, what's so those the, are true collectors, connoisseurs, uh, and repeat purchasers that that uh, that buy in that range. But but the piece that they're buying, the stone that they're buying, is a very major part of that jewelry design. What's the biggest stone you've ever held in your hand, like a diamond? or? I've held a 110 carat uh, emerald cut uh, diamond at one point a few years ago. And it's, it's like, Scary. it's almost like you're holding a baseball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you, you definitely it's, don't want to drop it. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah. Even though it's made yeah. of the hardest stuff in the world, but you just, I, I, I've held a hundred carat diamond in my hand. Uh, I was in Israel and a very big diamond broker a friend of mine who owns one of the biggest businesses there. And um, mm. he, he went into the safe, brought it out for me to hold. And I was like, take it, dude, take it back, take it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, my hands were trembling. It was because uh, you don't want to drop it. Yeah. Even though you know nothing will happen to it. Yeah. That's just. Yeah, not good. Not good. Well, listen, my friend, it was a pleasure to have you on. I'm looking forward to, I, actually, I'm going to get on site and I got to, uh, hopefully my wife's not listening and uh, look for a gift because I love that. I love the, I love the customization. I love giving people what they deserve and what they want. And um, it looks like you're on a fine track to make that happen. Well, thanks so much. Thank you for having me, and look forward to speaking again. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. It's the end of the show, and at the end of the show, I always like to talk about what I learned. You know what I learned? Two things. One, that this guy was a nice guy. That's first of all. I always like to have a good conversation with somebody who's polite and knows their stuff. I felt like I was having a very intelligent conversation, which I was. I love that. You know, do you ever have sit across from the dinner table and you have great conversations and you learn new things? That's what I was learning here. And I'm learning uh, some old stuff. And the old stuff is give people what they want. You give them what they want, they'll be willing to pay more for it or you can get the margins. I also like the things about, he was talking about vertical integration and that expertise can outweigh the need for capital. I thought that was a great takeaway from this, that you don't have to go into it and just bulk around. You need the money to be able to get to where you want to go. By having the real expertise, you can cut through all that 
And then I love the vertical integration all the way from cradle to grave, so to speak, or in this case, inception of the idea and going at the raw material all the way through delivering the customizable product to the customer. That was a really great thing to be able to learn. So we can all learn from that, and uh, that's uh, pretty good. In fact, if you heard that, 80%, 80%, give people what they want, and they will pay for it. And you know they found out their business jumped 80%. Do you have those kind of jumps? Well, figure it out. Find out what people want and give it to them. And speaking of give it to them, thanks for letting me give it to you via all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on Play.it and iTunes and everywhere else that you're listening in on. Don't forget, tell your friends. And don't forget, um, buy that someone special a nice gift. They deserve it, and you deserve the rewards of giving something to somebody else. Hey, thanks a lot. Cheers. of what's happening in the business world. Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Dunkin' Donuts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.